0: series on an unexpected Christmas, the Christmas that you didn't expect. I'm very excited to say that with us today, not only are the Brockies, and we're glad that you are here with us, thank you for being here, but we're also glad, I'm especially glad, my wife is especially glad, our son is here today. Flew in from Arizona last night at 12 o'clock, midnight. So if I fall asleep in the sermon, just wake me up when it's over. All right? Anyway, we're glad that you're here today, and we're excited about what God is going to do. Boy. up in Etobicoke, I grew up in Toronto, and I always thought Toronto was a wonderful place. It's not so much anymore, but it used to be okay. And then I moved to the United States to go to school, and everyone in the United States kind of thinks of Canada in general as this giant white tundra where there's nothing there, and uh, people just live in igloos and um, never see other people and all that kind of thing. Example of that came a week ago Friday. Everybody who likes sports was all excited because there's a baseball player by the name of Shohei Otani. I don't know if you know him. He's born in Japan and for several years played for the Los Angeles Angels in California. But this winter he was a free agent. And he is a very special baseball player because not only is he a fantastic hitter, he is a very good pitcher. So he can do both of those things. And the last person to do that was Babe Ruth about 100 years ago. So everybody's all excited because as a free agent, he was rumored to sign as a free agent with the Toronto Blue Jays. And everyone got all excited. Oh! this is so wonderful, this wonderful baseball player will come to Toronto and we'll have a great team and we'll win the World Series before the Maple Leafs win the Stanley Cup, which obviously is going to happen. But anyway, you know what I'm saying. (laughs) So there was even a big deal about someone posted on Twitter, which is now called X, I don't know, whatever, that he was on an airplane flying to Toronto to sign the contract on Friday all these reporters went to the airport to meet him. And when the plane landed and everybody got off the plane, he wasn't there. He wasn't there. And the very next day, Shohei Ohtani signed a $700 million contract with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Who's going to buy a ticket if you have to pay this guy $700 million? No, thank you. Anyway, the point of this story is to say, Friday, everybody was all excited, thinking this guy was going to come to Toronto. Saturday, he signs with the Los Angeles Dodgers. the best baseball player in a hundred years ever come to Toronto. Toronto is a hole. Toronto is a dump. Toronto is a terrible place. And then everybody who was sad on Friday, on Sunday, suddenly became very, very angry. How dare you say that Toronto is not the greatest place in the world? It isn't. Uh, But everyone was all wound up. And this question keeps ringing in Different people's ears. Does anything good ever come to Toronto? Does anything good ever happen here? The Leafs stink. The Blue Jays stink. The Raptors stink. And the Argos were good, but then choked in the playoffs. Does anything good ever happen here? Well, our sermon today takes that question and turns it around the question, does anything good come out of Nazareth? You say, what are you talking about? Well, a couple weeks ago, we talked about Jesus' unexpected birth, that he was born of a virgin. Last week, we talked about the unexpected guests that came to see him and some who tried to kill him, but today we want to talk about the unexpected town. So by I've entitled the message today, The Unexpected Town, Jesus from Nowhereville. Jesus from Nowhereville. What are we talking about? Well, we're going to look at God's word today in various places in the Gospels, in the book of Acts. at his life from the time he was a baby until the time he was 30 years old, we want to look at three things. Number one, that he was raised in obscurity. Secondly, that he was insulted by snobbery. And thirdly, that he was transformed into glory. In other words, the question we want to answer today has nothing to do with Toronto. It has to do with the city, or the town, or more appropriately, the village of Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Well, let's take a look. So let's talk, first of all, about how Jesus was raised in obscurity, 30 years. Christmas carols, from reading God's word, Jesus is not born in Nazareth. Jesus is born in Bethlehem. And Micah 5, chapter chapter 5, verse 2, predicts this. And when the wise men come and ask Herod where Jesus will be born, Herod goes and he talks to the religious leaders and they tell him, Micah 5, verse 2, says that the Messiah must come from the city of David, must be born in the city or the town of Bethlehem. And that's exactly where Jesus is born. But Mary and Joseph are not from Bethlehem. Mary and Joseph traveled to Bethlehem because it was their ancient hometown. Now, we live in a time period Town doesn't mean too much anymore. Um, when when we lived in China, a lot of people would, it, it got c- a little bit confusing to me because I would say, "Where where are you from?" And they would say, um, "I live in um, Jiangsu province, but I'm from." And so your hometown isn't necessarily the place that you're born, although Jesus is born in Bethlehem. But Mary and Joseph had to travel to Bethlehem because in their family line, David was born in Bethlehem. So they traveled to their hometown of Bethlehem because of a census that the, gov- the Roman government set up in order to tax people. But when it came to day-to-day living, Their actual hometown is in Nazareth up in the north in Galilee. We're going to have a map on the screen in a second. But Luke 2, 39 and 40 that Brenda has already read for us, I want to highlight once again. It says, And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, when Jesus was taken to the temple and dedicated, and they offered the sacrifice for him, it says, It says, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. So when you read that, you think, okay, Jesus was born here, and after he was born there, he moved to this other place. Okay, no big deal. But Nazareth is... nothing place. Do you know how many people lived in Nazareth when Jesus was growing up? Based on archaeological evidence, at the time of Jesus, the population of the city of Nazareth, you can see on the map, Nazareth is that dot way up in the north by the Sea of Galilee. So Jesus is born in Bethlehem, the dot at the bottom. Jerusalem is the bigger dot right above. But that little dot up at the top, Nazareth, that's where Jesus grew up. Way up in the north part of Israel. You know how many people lived there? About 300. 300 to 500 people. A little tiny town. I always make fun of my wife. She grew up in a little town in Nebraska called Ogallala. How many people were in Ogallala when you were there? 6,000. compared to Ogallala. And Ogallala is nothing. So Nazareth is a nothing place. Now, just to give you a sense of comparison, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Do you know how many people lived in Bethlehem at that time? Between two and 3,000. And on their way, they traveled to Jerusalem to dedicate the baby Jesus. Do you know how many people lived in Jerusalem? this time? 55 to 70,000. So relatively speaking, Nazareth is a dinky little tiny backwater nothing kind of place. Nobody lives there. Now the people who did live there, it was right on the border between, you know, when, when Israel went into the land, they had to divide up the area is right on the border between Naphtali and Zebulun. And nobody wanted to claim them. They were just, they were the nothing place. It was a place where there were a few people, mostly Jewish people. There were no big roads. There was no Roman garrison. There was nothing. It was just this little dumpy didn't have any special industry or trade. They're not right on the Sea of Galilee to do fishing. They're in this little valley with nothing. And we know specifically that Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph, were poor because when they dedicated him at the temple, there were two offerings you could make. You could offer a lamb or you could offer two pigeons. And you could offer two pigeons because you were poor. Guess which offering Jesus' parents gave? They gave the two pigeons because they were poor. Not only is this a little teeny tiny nothing place, no one cares about it. Nobody knows about it. Do you know how many times it's mentioned in the Old Testament? Zero. Do you know how many times it's mentioned in the Apocrypha? Literature written from about 400 B.C. to 100 A.D. Do you know how many times it's mentioned in the Apocrypha? Zero. Do you know how many times the historian Josephus, who wrote volume after volume about the history of Israel, do you know how many times Josephus mentions Nazareth? Zero. Do you know how many times the city of Nazareth is mentioned in the Talmud, that Commentary document that the people have On the law Zero There's no mention Of this place Now historians and archaeologists Have found that It's a real place But it's a not important place Nobody cares Nobody cares about this place So what happened next Jesus and his family Move back to his parents' hometown. And in the scripture reading today, we saw in Luke 2, 41 to 52, that Jesus at the age of twelve goes down or goes to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover with his family. Actually goes up, not down, because Jerusalem is the highest point in the land. And while he was there, he amazed the teachers at the temple with his knowledge and understanding. at age 12, it tells us that he returned to Nazareth with Mary and Joseph and was submissive to them. But that's all we know. So we know a little bit about what happened to Jesus when he was a baby. We have one story of when he's 12, and then the next we hear of him What happened to Jesus between age 12 and age 30 or 32 or 33 or whatever he was? Jesus, the son of God, grew up in this little, dumpy, poor, out-of-the-way, nobody-cares-about-it place. So while he was there, did Jesus outpace his peers in learning? and cousins, and the people around him in the village, how often did his sinlessness frustrate those around him? That Jesus guy, he always does the right thing. That really bugs me. He always does the right thing. What kind of worker was he? As a carpenter, was his carpentry perfect? briefly with very powerful words the growing up years of Jesus and it simply says this Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man doesn't say Jesus had wisdom says Jesus increased in wisdom increased in stature, and he increased in favor with God and man. Jesus learned wisdom. I don't understand how all that works, that the God of the universe learned wisdom. But he did. He grew emotionally and mentally, not by sinning, but by experience. The book of Hebrews puts it this way, Jesus learned obedience. Obedient before. It means he learned by experience what it means to obey. And Jesus submitted himself to his parents, and as he grew, his wisdom increased. Jesus grew up physically. He walked the path of unglamorous human maturing. Jesus probably had pimples. Jesus, I'm sure, as Jesus experienced all of the things that happen as you grow. And Jesus increased in stature. And most importantly, Jesus increased in favor with God and man. Luke uses this phrasing specifically because this is exactly how the writer of 1 Samuel describes the growth. and in favor with God and men. Jesus is the one who grows in wisdom. But Jesus, as he was growing up, loved God and he loved his neighbor as much as he loved himself. Jesus, as a boy, experienced all of the things Jesus of Nazareth is insulted by snobbery. Jesus was insulted by snobbery. Nothing good comes from Nazareth. So you may ask yourself the question, and many people have, why Nazareth? Why did God have Jesus grow up could have moved to Jerusalem, could have gone all sorts of different places. There are much bigger places around the Sea of Galilee where Jesus could have grown up. But Jesus spent the first 30 years of his life in this teeny tiny, nobody cares about place. And Luke doesn't mention this, but Matthew, at the end of Matthew chapter 2, records this. He says in Matthew chapter 2, verse 23, called Nazareth so that what was spoken by the prophets this is very interesting Matthew whenever he quotes the Old Testament always talks about a prophet so when he talked about Jesus being born in Bethlehem said to fulfill the words of the prophet singular but here he uses the plural so that what was spoken of by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. And you look all over the Old Testament, and there's no specific prophecy that says the Messiah will grow up in Nazareth or that he will be called a Nazarene. But what I think Matthew is trying to point out to us is that the Messiah and the whole sweep of the prophecies about the Messiah, especially in the book of Isaiah, focus on the fact that the Messiah would come from nothing and would be considered a nobody. How do we know this? One of the most famous passages about the Messiah coming is in Isaiah 52 and 53, talking about the suffering servant. And I just want to read three verses for you. Isaiah 53, 1 to 3. Here's what it says. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty. desire him he was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and as one from whom men hide their faces he was despised The most beautiful. He wasn't one that everybody said, Wow, look at that guy. In fact, what they said was, Ew, look at that guy. And so it's not until the age of 30 that Jesus ends up leaving Nazareth, but he spends those 30 years preparing himself for the ministry that God has called him to, growing in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And so Jesus lives in Nazareth until John the Baptist, who came to prepare the way for him, in Matthew chapter 4, it's recorded that John the Baptist was arrested. And it was at that moment that Jesus leaves the little In Galilee. And there are many ways that Jesus describes himself the Son of Man, and I am Jesus, and I am, and all these different things. But there's one name that Jesus never gives himself in his earthly life. Jesus never, ever, 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 ever in his ministry calls himself. Of Nazareth. He never calls himself that. But the reputation of the hometown where he grew up followed him wherever he went. And I'm very quickly take you through some of the examples. The beginning of the Gospel of John, Jesus starts calling disciples to him. And one of the disciples he calls is Philip. And Philip goes and finds his friend Nathaniel. And Philip says to him, we have found the Messiah. Who is it? It's a guy named Jesus from Nowhereville. And Nathaniel in John chapter 1 verse 46 responds to his friend Philip. And he says, come out of this little, tiny, poor, forgotten, not important place. Nothing good can come out of there. You are wasting your time. And when we look in the rest of the Gospels, we see over and over again that when Jesus is identified as Jesus of Nazareth, the response people have is, Who? Who? 671, Mark 10, 47, Luke 18, 37. Crowds didn't know who he was. He was Jesus from Nowhereville. It doesn't matter. And yet when his enemies want to really give him a dig, when they really want to insult him, they call him Jesus So when Jesus is casting out demons, the demons always say, who are you, Jesus of Nazareth? Why are you bothering us? And when the soldiers came with Judas to arrest Jesus, how did they identify him? They identified him as Jesus. and these low expectations from Nathanael and the crowds and his enemies. His own people didn't care about him. There's a record in Luke chapter 4 that Jesus went back to his hometown to do miracles and to help the people there. And what was the response he received? His fellow Nazarenes rejected him, drove him out of town, And if they had had their way, they would have thrown him off the cliff because their town's in this little valley and they took him up to the cliff and they wanted to throw him off and kill him because they didn't like what he said. The final insult in Jesus' earthly ministry comes when he is put on a cross. And Pilate puts a little message over top of Jesus' head as he is bleeding does that sign say above his head? Jesus of Nowhereville, King of the Jews. The Apostle Paul, reflecting in the book of Philippians, talks This way, Paul, encouraging the Philippian believers to be humble like Jesus, says this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, talking about Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. the cross to live in a place where nobody cared about him. Nobody paid attention to him. No one thought anything about him. But that is not where the story ends for Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus does humble himself. Jesus does spend 30 years growing up in this backwater town. Jesus grows in and in stature and in favor with God and man. And he goes and he dies on a cross for our sins. But three days later, he is raised. And it's at that moment that the name Jesus of Nazareth is transformed into something completely different. Jesus of Nazareth is transformed into. It is the name of the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So the resurrected Jesus of Nazareth now becomes a name and a badge of honor. Not of shame, not of meaninglessness, not of ill importance. It becomes the name of the resurrected king of kings. Israel, this small nation to bless them and give them the land. He chooses David the seventh son who was a nothing. And this pattern is built up over and over again that God uses those things that are small in order to bring glory to himself. So Nazareth's story doesn't end is talked about after his resurrection and after his ascension to God's right hand where he is putting his enemies under his feet. Jesus is called Jesus of Nazareth. It's not a name of shame. It is a name of glory. How do we know? Well, if we look in the resurrection account of Mark chapter 16 angel at the tomb says to the women who come, he said to them, don't be alarmed, you seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, he has risen, he is not here, see the place where they have laid him, or where they laid him, for more than three decades, this name had been an insult. And a foretaste of the shame that he would experience on the cross. But now it is marked by divine glory. So when we move into the book of Acts and the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2. And Peter stands up and he preaches a sermon in which 3,000 people come to faith in Jesus. How does he preach to them? Them of Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, and now is the risen Lord of the universe. In Acts chapter three, when Peter and John are going to the temple to worship God, and they see the lame man, the lame man is healed. How is he healed? He is healed in the name of Jesus. chapter 4 when the religious leaders get all wound up because Peter is going around teaching about Jesus and they've healed this layman and they've caused all this grief for the religious leaders and they bring Peter and John up on trial. Peter says, I want to declare before all who will listen the name in Acts chapter 10, after Peter has his vision with the sheep coming down from heaven with the unclean animals. And God tells him to eat. I've never eaten that before. Don't call unclean what I call clean. And then he meets the Gentiles and shares with them about Jesus. And what does he do? He preaches to the Gentiles. Paul a little bit later in the book of Acts. Acts 26, when Paul is testifying before the authorities and he's reflecting back on that visit to the road to Damascus or when he was on the road to Damascus to visit Damascus to put Christians in jail and to have them executed. Paul says this in Acts 26 verse 9. I myself was convinced powerful than anything I'd ever seen. And so he begins to travel to Damascus with the papers to go and arrest those people. And on the way, he sees a bright light. And in that bright light appears to him, Jesus. And do you know what Jesus says to him? For the first time ever in the Bible, Jesus says of himself, himself as Jesus of Nazareth before his resurrection. But after his resurrection, others and he himself calls himself Jesus of Nazareth. So the second part of what Paul says about the humility of Jesus in Philippians chapter 2 is also transformed into glory beginning at verse 9 of Philippians chapter two, because Jesus has humbled himself and been obedient to death on a cross, growing up in a place where nobody cared, nobody paid any attention, he humbled himself and died on a cross. Verse nine of Philippians two says this, therefore God every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good is yes not just something good but the greatest thing that has ever happened to the universe was that Jesus came out of Nazareth to save us from our sins Jesus the God man grew up in a forgotten town in Galilee and he humbled himself by going down to the city of Nazareth by going down to the cross by going down to the tomb you so much that he was willing to grow up in that stubby little place for 30 years so that he could then die on the cross for your sin. And then Jesus of Nazareth was raised to prove that his victory over sin and death was real. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it today? Jesus died on the cross for your sins and commit your life to live to please him, trust him and give him your life. That's what Jesus of Nazareth calls you to do. If you are already on that journey, you've asked Jesus to forgive your sins and now you are living your life to please him. Jesus of Nazareth the one that you can go to because when you go to Jesus of Nazareth for help you can trust that he fully understands exactly how you feel and exactly what you're going through Jesus grew up Jesus knows what it's like to suffer Jesus knows what it's like to be hungry Jesus knows what it's like to be thirsty Jesus knows what it's like this way. We have a high priest who understands our weaknesses because he does, because he lived them. Not only is Jesus our helper, Jesus of Nazareth is our model. He's our model of humility. That's why Paul gives that beautiful picture of Jesus being humiliated and then exalted because Jesus is the model of humility for Christians to follow in dealing with others. If you are a Christian here today and you think, oh, I, I've got everything all all right in my own life. Well, probably not, but how are you treating other people? Jesus is our Was willing to give up everything in order to save us. How are you at dealing with other people? Do you act in humility? We live in a world today where everybody wants their rights. Everything is mine. You don't do what I do. You have to use my pronouns. You have to to get out of the and all these cars just everybody trying to do their own thing I'm the center of the universe Jesus is the center of the universe and how does he act he is humble and willing to sacrifice himself for others because this is what gives God glory so in closing Corinthians chapter one, starting at verse 26, Paul talking to a group of believers who aren't acting humbly, who aren't acting as if other people are just as important, if not more important than them. Paul says this. For consider your calling. Low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one... High priest who understands exactly how we feel. I pray today that if there's anyone here who doesn't know Jesus of Nazareth as their Lord and Savior, that today would be the day they would come to know him, that they would put their faith and trust in him, that they would give.